Hello and welcome to Media MD, your fortnightly dose of media that you have somehow missed. I'm Ruben Morehouse. I'm Elliot Diebold. And joining us again, we have... <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, Matt Freeman, um, here to check up on the patient and see how they recovered after the prescription. <laughs> After a, after a hefty dose of violence with Pulp Fiction uh, that you prescribed to us a fortnight ago. So uh, normally yeah. we would dive right into kind of talking about the plot to kind of give us a framing device to, to talk about what we liked and disliked. But I think it's worth pointing out that this movie definitely is one that will uh, bear multiple viewings. And because of that, it's probably worth pointing out we've, I've, I know I only watched the movie one time, so we're coming at it with this kind of like one time view perspective. Yeah. I actually tried to set aside time early, like about a week ago to make sure I could watch it twice. Um, but it's been a pretty crazy week and unfortunately I didn't get that chance. So I only saw it once. And as I was watching it that first time, you're like, ah, oh, I wish I could have fitted, fit in a second watching. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, and I, and I guess the reason you guys are saying that is because it's this nonlinear narrative where you yeah. you you're given information out all out of order, um, and there's a heavy element yeah. of dramatic irony, which you know it, it definitely <laughs> like I wouldn't say that it's the kind of movie where like it doesn't make sense the first time. It absolutely makes sense. It's just mm. I think it helps to. Um, oh, that's my opinion. I, I I think it makes sense. It's just like. You you have to. It's better to to have your head around the idea that like this isn't a normal movie, right? Yeah, yeah. It definitely made sense to me, but I also felt like there was a lot more to it that I wasn't picking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not just from the nonlinear narrative perspective, but this is a movie that's so like meticulously constructed, mm-hmm. and so in those kinds of movies, people are always kind of having the additional details hidden around throughout the movie that that you really don't catch on your first watch. Actually, uh. I went and read an article, 50 Things That You Missed Watching Pulp Fiction. And so I, I caught a, co- a couple of these, like, nice little set dressing things that are, that are you know, links throughout the individual stories. Um, let's kind of dive into what, what it is uh, so that people who, who somehow haven't seen it can, can kind of uh, keep up. Um, in short, Pulp Fiction is a series of three to four stories, uh, kind of individual short stories that are linked but by the characters in them kind of appearing in, in different places, right? Would you guys call that an accurate description? Yeah, they're interwoven sort of stories, yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, it starts or in, in the kind of opening credits. It's got this kind of motif of a radio tuning between stations, and I think that is a, a great way to kind of sum up the way the movie unfolds. It's like you tune into a, a part of a radio play and then, you know, after that's after you've caught the end of that, you tune it to another station and it's got this other kind of chunk of story. Right. But um, Oh man. That's a nice detail. I didn't pick up on that at all, but that I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um so the first we start out with a, a little bit of a cold open with um with two uh a, a couple that are planning to rob a diner. And then they, they stand up and they start, you know, waving around their guns. And then we cut to the credits and we go into the first story, which is um, following a, a hitman. Well, two hitmen, but mainly following a hitman called Vincent Vega, who goes and shoots some people and then uh, kind of has to take care of the, the boss's wife, ma- making a lot of careful effort to not get too close to her. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... But things go wrong when uh, he has bought some heroin earlier and she snorts it. I think thinking that it's cocaine. Right. Um, I, yeah, I think she thought it was cocaine and snorted it all, which obviously doesn't go well. Yeah. Um, so this is our first story, our introduction really to the 
to most of the the characters. Um, and this is about a third of the movie runtime wise. But I think actually this was the like vignette that I I liked the least. Interestingly, interested. I'm interested to hear your yeah. So, so I think that's probably a decent way to break it down. Actually, is to like pick one of the storylines, if you will. And it's interesting because I I. I'm actually looking at the Wikipedia right now and it's talking about how there's, there's three primary storylines. And I'm like, mm. my brain never broke this down into three storylines. <laughs> my brain just sort of sees yeah. it as a bunch of stuff that happens in a complicated, interrelated way. And like, I guess if you track Vincent Vega through the movie, there's a sequence of things that happens to him specifically. And you can call yes, that a storyline totally. if you want. Um, and I guess that's yeah. fine. I got no problem with it. But that, that's not how I break it down in, in my own mind. Um yeah, yeah, I'd almost it, view it as as like the best way to sort of break it down would be to focus in on each character because they're weaving in and out of each other's lives. Um, but yeah, like you'd focus on on Vincent's story, and then we can focus on Butch. Yeah, and that's sort of. The, and I, I'd imagine <laughs> yeah. as you break it down, that's probably basically what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, v- Vincent's an interesting character because he's like pr- pretty pretty unlikable, actually. Um, like, in, in, like intentionally <laughs> <Yes>. so. <laughs> Yeah, I, this is what I wanted to talk about, actually, because there's there's one scene in particular that highlights this for me, which is a scene where uh, Vincent, the hitman, and and the gangster's wife, Mia, go and have dinner in a, like, a, a 50s, 60s themed retro diner kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this scene is very strange. I think I liked a lot of things about this movie, but this scene kind of highlights some of the things I didn't like about this movie. I just found it very hard to kind of wrap my head around these two characters particularly. It was like, I disliked them, but I kind of was meant to dislike them, and I'm not really sure how to... My brain still doesn't really know how to kind of pass that. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, um, I so so I guess, like, I ha- I hadn't seen this movie in years, actually, despite uh having in my brain like oh this is one of my favorite movies this is a great movie this is a classic mm. um so i it was actually yeah. um this scene that you mentioned is actually one of the ones where i was like man i'm really parsing this differently th- than i did when i was younger um cuz like there's so much subtext there where yeah. he, he's like kind of being a dick on purpose um <laughs> but but also he kind yeah, of just weird, is that it? way like like yeah. and, and like sh- she'll say things and and you'll see him kind of like look off to the side in a way where he's like uh brushing it off basically i, I don't know like it's yeah it's a, like disrespecting her th- in a weird way yeah i i uh i definitely found like it was a much more interesting scene to me than it had been when i was younger i i, I agree with you though about it being like basically two unlikable people who you absolutely wouldn't want to be forced to spend time with having a dinner yeah um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, because a, a big thing in this film was a- everything is sort of intentionally like over the top or to its to its utmost extreme. Almost, um, mm. this film doesn't really deal with um, the middle ground of things. It's it tends to exaggerate <laughs> uh, a lot of character traits, and like like Mia, um, the uh, Marcellus's wife, who who he's out with, at dinner with, was kind of almost like an intentionally over the top kind of annoying oh not annoying like like uh bitchy female femme fatale type character like she was all the mm. all the toxic parts of the femme fatale um trope like sort of dialed up to 11 i think she's i i definitely think she comes across that way up until the the heroin cocaine mishap and then things kind of go a bit wild um uh, it's interesting like 
this diner scene to me was so fascinating because one of the things that you called out as being great about this movie, Matt, which I agree with, is that the dialogue between the characters yeah. manages to like maintain tension in moments of not not tense things yeah. happening, right? Like this movie focuses a lot on the moments between the action, right? Yeah, yeah. Let- and the dialogue, yeah, right, right. It, it carries that tension so well, right? Like because all they're doing is having dinner, but but there's like literally mm. life or death stakes <laughs> because <laughs> because you know his boss is literally going to murder him if if he comes on too strong. So, but like. Yeah, but then, like, interestingly, as as the scene goes on, he goes from um, trying as hard as he can to just like, kind of be like dour and and un- unpleasant to just like basically falling for her to the point where he's having yeah. to like talk himself down from doing anything later. Um, and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, yeah and I when it, when they got back to the house and and Vincent's kind of talking himself down in the bathroom, being like, "No, just be nice. Say you have to leave." Like, that was the stuff that really worked for me. Whereas mm-hmm. when it was in the diner, it, they, I just felt... I didn't feel them, like, get closer. I just kind of felt them be weirdly hostile towards mm-hmm. each other. Specifically when um, when Mia's going over the story about the guy who theoretically gave her a foot massage and was thrown out of a window for it. It just is so tense, and you just get this weird sense that she's just, like, being manipulative or lying to him in a way that I, I felt like it was meant to be a bit more charismatic between the two of them than i really was able to like read from it yeah yeah i don't know i don't know that maybe that's something where you'll uh see something different on another view or maybe you'll maybe it'll reinforce it because i don't actually disagree i uh i it's it's interesting to me that we were talking about this scene so much because this was a scene that my mind kind of (laughs) kept going back to after this rewatch uh just because i parsed (laughs) it so differently as a as an older adult than i had as like a teenager so Mm. Um, Elliot, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about some of the other, some of the other, uh, you know, elements, vignettes, I guess is the <laughs> yeah. right word. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so my favorite is, is probably, was definitely the one centered around Butch, right? Or Butch's story, mm-hmm. um, was probably the highlight of the movie for me. So we sort of open with him. Uh, he has, he's chatting with this mob boss, um, Marcellus and basically agrees to throw a fight. And then the next time we sort of see him, it turns out he didn't throw the fight He's sort of pocketing all the money, and he also bet on himself to to get more money. Uh, and now <laughs> he's, he's screwing now over he's, a mob boss, which is yes. a great plan. Uh, and so now he's now he's chucking a runner is basically where we catch up with him again, and uh, uh, he goes back to a hotel where he meets his girlfriend, wife. Uh, it's it's never fully explained. Um, and then it it turns out she forgot his uh, golden pocket watch, which. Uh, belong was not pocket watch wristwatch that belonged to his father and uh, that's like a whole thing he really loves this watch so he has to go <laughs> back to his house um to to get it uh, uh-huh. and yeah, he goes I there I want to I want to kind of stop you there Elliot because I think this is one of the reasons I like this movie there's so when we first see Butch he's a, a momentary character in Vincent's story right Vincent's going to meet Marcellus Wallace and mm. you know talk about the the job they've just pulled. Uh, and Butch is there, and and Butch is kind of talking to him about throwing the fight, and then Butch and Vincent have a brief interaction, and then Butch is gone, and you don't see him for half an hour, 40 minutes, until we kind of cut back to his vignette later. Um, And I think this is one of... This is the reason that the non-linear narrative worked so well for me, is because it's easy to imagine a version of this movie where it's three or four short stories, and they're different characters, different actors, etc. 
Um, and there would have to be so much more like groundwork to set up these characters and, and all these things that because, because of the way this story is told, it just works so much better, even though it is, you know, there's like title cards between each third of the movie. Like it is, it is basically short stories with, with extra stuff weaving between. Yeah. Well, no, you're right. It's, it's very efficient because it, it gets so much groundwork. Like as we first meet, um, Butch, as he's like running away from what he's done at the fight, we mm. already have so much of that context that's been already built up in the other stories. So it's just able to easily be reused. And we already know who Marcellus is, why it's a really bad thing that he's, you know, yeah. betrayed him. Uh, and, and yeah, so, yeah, like, nothing needs to, to be really characters. established. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just noticed something. D- tell me if you think this is reaching. But so, so Vincent accidentally blows the guy's head off in a, in what is basically a hilarious comedy scene. (laughs) Um, And then, and then later Butch is holding the gun on him and you don't know if he's going to just, you know, waste him or not. And then the toaster Mm. pops and he pulls the trigger semi reflexively. And it's, it's a very, it's a parallel thing where Vincent dies basically Mm. because he flinched and pulled the trigger. (laughs) Yeah. There are a lot of these weird kind of parallelisms. Like, guns in this movie are, are, are very interesting where there's it's like a lot of the tension will revolve around these these guns being pointed at each other and people not just being willing to pull the trigger uh-huh. uh, another key one is later on uh, when when we cut back to the to the like cafe the breakfast diner where um pumpkin and honey bunny are robbing everybody and samuel L. jackson pulls a gun and just and this whole this whole scene is about nobody wants to shoot their guns. <laughs> like the 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 <laughs> kind of fear of of pulling a trigger is, is a theme that I really like being reflected across all of these vignettes. Yeah, no, but I really like um I like I like that idea, Matt, because uh, Vincent sort of tries to blame uh, the accidental trigger pull on like a bump in the road or something. Like he's trying to make excuses why he why he did it, and it doesn't <laughs> right. really seem like any yep. of those hold up. And it kind of it's a bit of poetic justice that then he dies to exactly what he was blaming that, that yeah. murder on yeah like yeah it. and and then he dies and that's another one of the things that i just find fascinating is is he's dead and then we go back yeah. to um um samuel L. jackson storyline mm. and he's he's alive because we're we're earlier in the movie or way earlier yeah. in, in between the two yeah the two stories at this point and, and i mean yeah. at, at this point i didn't have a super firm grasp on where everything was in the timeline like yeah i sort of knew it was non-linear um from our prescription and and so travolta died and i was like wow what the hell and and i was sort of waiting for his story to build to that scene and it took me a while to realize that that's actually not where it was going and i like this idea that vincent's probably the closest thing the movie has to a main character uh, and mm. and the fact that he's just killed off halfway through the film in a scene that isn't even <laughs> remotely about him is fantastic. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it adds a lot of of interesting context. Um. Anyway, so I kind of interrupted you halfway through talking about Butcher's story. Oh, yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. So as as we've sort of talked about, Butch makes it back to his place. Uh, finds Vincent there. Um, who's put his gun down, so he kills Vincent. Um, and then he's leaving and probably one of my favorite scenes is then just as he's waiting for a traffic light to change marcellus the mob boss walks past him at the pedestrian crossing just with like some donuts and coffee um (laughs) it's just that moment where they sort of realize who they both are and uh bruce willis just floors uh the car and and manages to hit marcellus and they have you know the one of the most wobbly chase scenes of all time as they're both recovering from 
sort of car car incidents um, (laughs) and and trying to escape. And then they end up in a pawn shop uh, in both senses of the word um, Mm. because the guy who runs the pawn shop basically knocks them out and like imprisons them and it turns out he has like a, a rape dungeon basically yeah it goes yeah it I, goes really I, dark it goes, it's, it's, it's a very zero to a hundred uh scene where you're like oh this is sort of the end no no, no it's not yeah well, that's the thing both of the vignettes are like that right like the first two vignettes are both like you see it going in one direction and then it just takes a hard pivot um oh you're right like really the liked. the bit where marvin is shot is is very much the same sort of thing you think it's all winding down it's about to end and then it's suddenly white nope yeah yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the rape dungeon thing was one was another thing where where like it made me un- like really uncomfortable cuz I was like, man, I I've like I've known this was in this movie forever cuz I saw this movie when I was probably like 18 or something for the first time. But now mm. I this is another thing where I'm like, man, this is a weird place for this movie to be going and and <laughs> um like this is very uncomfortable and like there's nothing funny about this and and I, I, like I, I was actually this time I was like, why did he put this in here? Like th- this is a really <laughs> what's like weird decision. And I mean, I, I think that's what he was going for actually. Like he he was going for this thing where he's like, you're you you think you're in one kind of movie and then suddenly you're in Deliverance. That that was like a quote. Yeah. Um. And <laughs> I could say that. Yeah. And it definitely does achieve that effect. So <laughs> he succeeded, I guess. Yep. Yeah. yeah it, I, it really it really just sort of comes out of nowhere because there's been all the violence so far but it's been very movie violence like it's just all these machine guns yeah and (laughs) and bullets going into people and then suddenly it gets very real uh all of a sudden in this scene very very real and then now there's a katana and now it's not real again (laughs) yes (laughs) it's interesting i think i think i liked so this movie is obviously and and i get the sense a lot of tarantino movies are like this there's style is a big part of it right Mm -hmm. it's all about the style um and i Mm. liked the idea of this movie over and over again kind of letting you get lulled into thinking it's one style of movie and then just kind of changing it making it taking a turn uh so mia starts ODing and things go really bad in that in that little vignette and and then we get uh butch and and marcellus wallace getting locked up and things just go really bad in that vignette and it's interesting to me that you kind of would expect something similar to happen in the coffee shop with um with Samuel L. Jackson and and you know all the others, uh, but it doesn't, which I think is a nice little way to to round out the movie. Yeah, it's it's almost uh, the happy ending, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, about as close as this yeah. movie could get. Um, <laughs> I really liked just because I got the sense the film was wrapping up about two hours in, um, and then it sort of cuts to uh, Vince and, and Jules at the diner. And, and immediately, mm. as soon as they sat down at a diner, I was like, whoa, that scene. I totally forgot about that. But like, <laughs> and it was sort of like, oh, this is like a great. And that was sort of when I knew that I was at the ending because I was like, this is a fantastic way to round out the story with exactly where it started. And it immediately recontextualizes the entire first scene. Um, mm. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I- right. And, and it, like somehow you're happy that Vincent walks away from that alive, even though you know he's gonna die real soon yeah i I, I like that too yeah yeah it's yeah it's well okay we're 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 20 minutes into talking about this and we haven't at all spoken about samuel l jackson who's my (laughs) highlight of this movie like Uh he's he's incredible um he's at peak samuel l jackson here 
uh, going from <laughs> the the furious, or not furious, but kind of avenging angel hitman to, to kind of turning his life around, or starting to turn his life around. Um, yeah, and it's the, a very interesting story. All of the conversations between him and Vincent were probably the highlight of that of the dialogue yeah. that we've talked about in this film. I loved all of their conversations, particularly just the uh, the benignity of of all the subject matter, but also somehow its resonance with all the horrific shit they were going through at the same time. It was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the first, uh, I don't know if it's a one shot or or not, but um. The, the their first conversation as they're they're talking about first they're talking about fast food in Amsterdam but the point is <laughs> the, the point I'm getting at is like it's a rather meandering conversation but uh, especially having seen the movie before I was able to appreciate like wow they're sketching out so much background information they're telling you about Mia Wallace mm. they're telling you that you should be scared mm. of Marcellus Mar- Marcellus Wallace they're, they're telling you that he does heroin or that, that he's been in Amsterdam all this time like it's all like you're you're learning so much about not just these two characters but the future plot lines that you're going to be seeing but it's all done in such an organic way and you're you're kind of like hanging on the conversation because they have even within the conversation they're having this little argument about whether a foot rub means anything you know so like it's <laughs> yeah. really fantastically yeah. economical storytelling and, and dialogue and just everything about that first scene is is amazing also yeah, I, the, I haven't the seen foot that massage many conversation is great yeah yeah i haven't seen that many tarantino films but uh I'm aware uh, through pop culture of his obsession with feet. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, of course, his what is generally considered his best film opens with an argument about foot massages. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Would you give a guy a foot massage? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. There are a lot of uh, good uh, notable quotables in this movie too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that is the, the real selling point of this movie is the – the dialogue in these moments between things. I think it, it just, it, it carries you through the movie. The, these great characters like Samuel, uh, Jules played by Samuel L. Jackson and Tarantino's, uh, his kind of cameo role is, is pretty great as well. Um, yeah, it, it, it really is what, what ties the movie together so nicely, I think. Yeah. I, I think the, for me, the funniest scene was, uh, when, uh, he's trying to to find the syringe of adrenaline for for Mia, and <laughs> yeah. and 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 he's like, "Well, I'm trying to get it if you let me." He's like, "I'm not fucking stopping you." Just like the, like the way Travolta's voice is like shrieking. I just like yeah. it's so like undignified and fantastic. I just love it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah I, it's very realistic. Yeah. as well. This whole movie, yes. it just feels very real. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. I actually realized as I was watching this, I I think I might have seen. Greece as a kid but apart from that this might be the first film i've ever actually seen john travolta in wow. um mm. which is you know he's one of those people i've known about him since i was a kid like he's he's like a famous actor but i've just sort of had one of those moments where i was like i don't know if i've ever actually seen him in, as an actor before i mean he's been in a lot of really bad movies but um and and, <laughs> and, and he's been really bad in a lot of movies but uh yeah. this is he's definitely fantastic in this um Oh, I'm kind of conflicted what I think about <laughs> about Travolta. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think he he does pretty well in this, but I, I definitely didn't think he like Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis are like really up there to me in this movie. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's it, I, I feel a bit it feels a bit hard to separate the art from the artist in terms of Travolta with just a lot of the weird Scientology stuff that I know about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you gotta watch Face Off, of course. <laughs> Um, well, 
True. That's uh, Nick Cage as well, which yeah. is another hero. Yeah, gotta watch Broken Arrow. <laughs> that's about mm. it. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's two or three good performances in that. I mean, he's had a great, like, a very strong career. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, anyway, we're getting a bit off topic here. Uh, <laughs> I think the one kind of thing I want to round it out on is I'm I'm kind of curious... Matt, you've hinted that your thoughts about this movie have shifted since you've just recently rewatched it. I'm interested to hear kind of an overview of what what you thought about the movie, how your thoughts about it have changed. Oh, I mean, I, I if anything, it's been reaffirmed as as being a great movie in my mind. It's it's just interesting to me that I went so many years without seeing it again, and a lot of the like the the things that I noticed changed. Like I basically I basically used to watch movies on the level of like. Yeah, it was pretty cool when he got shot in the head and his head blew up. Um, <laughs> but but now I'm like I'm like appreciating the dialogue on like a craftsmanship level and mm. um and also there there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of one take shots which is something that's just very like aesthetically pleasing once you notice or uh, you know what I mean where like basically the camera follows someone as they're walking yeah yeah you know yeah. They're, they're, John like, Travolta. Mm-hmm. Going into the restaurant is a good example of that. Like, that, there's a there's a long shot where it tracks him walking through there uh, to get yep. a seat with Mia. That's one. Um, mm. Him, him, and yeah, again, him and Samuel Jackson having some of their conversations, or at least they're very long shots. They're not. Um, they're not cut very much. I'm pretty sure when Butch is like like long stretches of Butch's journey to yeah. to his house are are one shots, which. Um, that, so, so the essay that I was trying to, the video essay that I was trying to find for you guys, but I couldn't find it was basically about how, um, the soundtrack of that scene is, is all of these sounds like basically sounds that you would expect to hear in a war film. And there's all this subtext (laughs) of, of like everything that happens in Butch's storyline is basically the subtext is Butch sees himself as a soldier and, Mm. And and sees himself as being in this like lineage of soldiers and and expects to die in in like a war and and so mm. the since you're kind of following but you're kind of in his head it makes sense that the sounds would would be would be kind of like pulling out this sense of like he's he's going through the trenches even though he's going through like a L.A. neighborhood it turns into <laughs> uh you know and then he ends up shooting somebody with a freaking machine gun so um. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then Jap- there's a Japanese sword, <laughs> so like there's all yeah. kinds of you know his his grandfather or no his father yeah his father died in 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 the the Pacific right so like it's all it's mm, all yeah. tied together with this with with that prologue about about his um you know about about his military and the uh, yeah, lineage about the lineage of this gold watch as well um, yeah. yeah that's interesting that's such a deep like meaning behind kind of butcher's uh yeah. journey here that i i didn't even i mean you kind of pick up on it with the the lineage of the gold watch but to that extent that's pretty uh that's pretty well crafted yeah i need to watch this movie again like far <laughs> out that's amazing yeah yeah, yeah. that's uh, and that's only what one third one quarter of the movie <laughs> yeah yeah that's probably my favorite thing that i know of that's like that's like interesting subtext because if i if i didn't if i hadn't had that pointed out to me then i would just be like uh, okay there's a there's there's a kind of like darkly comic vignette um where christopher walken tells him the history of the watch 
and then there's a disconnected yeah. <laughs> and, 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 then, yeah. and then there's an entirely disconnected scene where he has to go get the watch and it's like no there it's not disconnected it's actually yeah. like f- f- in a filmmaking sense very tightly tied together and uh mm. that's and i suspect there's more of that going on in the movie that i just also need to have pointed out to me um but i haven't you know i, I certainly haven't noticed it myself mm. yeah i think the surface level interpretation of that of that opening uh, story is is just oh this is why the watch is so important to him right and yeah. and that works as the as the basic interpretation but it, yeah the, it this is definitely the kind of movie where you, you can get into the layers of all these things a lot more yeah um yeah i guess elliot i'm interested to hear your kind of overarching thoughts about it yeah um like just the the movie in general you mean or yeah yeah, yeah. um it's interesting because i actually messaged you after watching this and was like i i don't know that movie was okay but i didn't love it and then i guess the more i've sat on it the more uh, it's grown on me and this conversation has actually helped a lot with that like i think i think this is a movie where the more thought you put into it the more you like it if that makes sense i think if you go and just try to casually watch it as a popcorn movie experience you're probably not going to love it whereas the more you Mm. the more you dwell on it i think the more it stands out to you And, and so i think my opinion of it has just sort of grown the more we've talked about it yeah that, that's that's really yeah. interesting to me because i because remember last uh last time we talked about the idea that like maybe there was going to be a seinfeld is unfunny syndrome thing where mm. where you guys would just be like i don't i don't see what the big deal is because and it's <laughs> like it's like well the big deal is that at the time this was incredibly groundbreaking in, in a number of ways and now everyone like it's influenced filmmaking to the point where you can't even distinguish like what what has been influenced by it anymore mm. um but uh but i mean still all that said i i suspected it would stand on its own um and yeah so that's that's cool it's good to know yeah no i, I think that's fair there's there's probably an element of of that seinfeld isn't funny uh stuff happening but i i do agree it definitely is still worth watching these days yeah mm-hmm. mm. yeah i think it does stand on its own but as you said elliot like this is a meticulously crafted movie and so the, the kind of passion of of the people making it does come across meaning that the more that you the more that you think about it the more that you let yourself feel that passion the more that you're going to enjoy the movie um i i i'm in the same camp as you elliot where the time i liked this movie the least was right after finishing it <laughs> and then the more i think about it the more i'm like oh this thing was really cool oh that that part was really cool it all tied together this thing really well um yeah what do you guys think about tarantino in general i think is maybe a a good thing to talk about for a second at least so yeah I've, sure i've seen reservoir dogs i've seen inglorious bastards and now i've seen oh i've seen kill bill and now i've seen this and i think my favorite of all of those is reservoir dogs just because I like the, I like the, the, I think that movie probably is the least like overly stylized and the most just characters having cool dialogue with each other in, in a room and, and <laughs> a, a fun plot emerging. And so I think like that sums up my thoughts on Tarantino where I like, I, I think he's quite talented, but I think the more he kind of plays into his style, the less I actually end up enjoying his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, because we obviously, I think Reservoir Dogs was one of our first episodes, uh, mm-hmm. even uh, where you brought that to me, and I think I described it in in that episode. It, it felt it felt like a bottle episode of a TV show, like it was yeah. very much Tarantino was sort of limited to two rooms for almost the entirety of the movie, and so it was the movie had to be driven by its character based conversations. 
Um, mm. And obviously he's very good at that. Uh, and so I think that's a large part of why that movie worked so well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. and, and so obviously, so I, I've seen that and I've seen Django Unchained uh, back when it came out, which I loved. And I saw the first Tarantino film I ever saw was Inglorious Bastards back when it came out. That'd be like 15 years ago now, probably. Um, and I, I, I hated that at the time, but I was like a 17 year old and I'd never heard of Tarantino and I went in and I just, I think I was overloaded. I had no idea what I was walking into and I came out and I was like, I don't know what the fuck that was. Um, it's, it's probably something I should try and rewatch now that I know what I'm signing up for and see if that makes a difference. Mm. Yeah. Maybe, maybe focus on different things. Like that's, that's kind of, and, and, and it's interesting cause, cause I think my, feelings about tarantino's swing based on like what mood i'm in um because even specific movies i'll 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 like i'll i'll like defend uh kill bill if people criticize it but then if nobody's criticizing it i'll be like look i have a lot of problems with kill bill (laughs) um um (laughs) and and so like yeah the the style can can definitely be a, a very questionable element um and this this was this was you know this movie is toward the beginning of his career where it's not doing the crazy things that you start mm-hmm. to see more of in Kill Bill, um, but uh, yeah. but definitely the, the I guess the nonlinear nonlinear narrative sort of counts as a as a crazy thing. Um, he's just so he's so creative. He's willing to try crazy <laughs> things, and I think that's a positive yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. His um his style is so intense that I can definitely see myself probably going for weeks at a time where I'm just like, I, I can't handle any Tarantino right now. Uh-huh. Um, I, I feel like you've really, you've really got to be in the mood for him because they're, they're very full on and, and I love that sometimes, but there are probably other times where I'm just like, oh, I couldn't handle that. Yeah, mm. that's fair. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, did you, it, I, I always, I don't know if I, I guess I didn't know about this, but just that the idea that basically Uma Thurman is describing Kill Bill when she's describing the TV show that she was in. Um, <laughs> yeah i picked up on that too i was like it, it was hard to know if that was intentional or just accidental it was very strange i mean i mean it has to be it has to be that he had this idea and he wanted to yeah. stick the idea in the pulp fiction but then it was like a genuine idea of his and so it became kill bill much much yeah, later just fleshed out over time yeah 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 that was a that was an interesting little <laughs> an interesting little thing i noticed while i was watching um yeah, I guess that's that's Pulp Fiction. Elliot, uh, our format demands that we give it a number out of 10. So what do you think? Yes, uh, I want to give this one a tentative 8 out of 10. But, uh, you know, get back to me in six months if I've rewatched it. Yeah. And that'll probably be adjusted. Yeah, sh- yeah, I agree with you. An 8 feels about right, but it could, you know, it, it's very hard to tell what my feelings on this will be in another week or two. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. perhaps we need a follow-up appointment to, uh, to check on the... <laughs> The med- the, how the medicine's been doing i, I mean I, I don't know if i'm supposed yeah. to give it a rating but i i think i'd put it higher um I, I think of this as being like like one of those classics that deserves the name um mm. but mm. maybe that's a artifact of having seen it when i was younger and i i'm willing to i'm willing to accept that's so that's possible um is this your favorite tarantino film matt it might be I, i've never quite i've never quite thought through that um, it's probably mm. the one where I, I, I really don't have any caveats in, 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 in recommending it. Like all the other, every other Tarantino film, I'm like, yeah, I really like it except for uh thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, and this one, yeah. like e- even the stuff where I'm, where it like makes me uncomfortable. I'm like, well, he's trying to make me uncomfortable. Um, 
so he succeeded. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah, it's it's a hard movie to to put into a box. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's that's our discussion about Pulp Fiction. Um, Matt, thank you so much for for joining us and, and yes, bringing us thank Pulp you. Fiction. My pleasure. Um, for for those of our listeners who want to find out more about you and some of the stuff you do, where can, where should we direct them? Uh, well, uh, the website that I that I work on that I'm the co-host of is doofmedia.com. Um, there we have a number of podcasts, including We've Got Ward, where we discuss the web serial Ward, which which I highly recommend. Um, mm. We also have me too. Thank you. We also have a, a kind of a variety media podcast called the Doofcast. You can find both of those on any podcasting platform. And uh, in our on our platform, there is another podcast called uh, Deep Impact, mm. uh, which I highly recommend. I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the Thank Doofcast. You. I've just been listening to the Doofcast episode that just came out about Captain Marvel. It's a very fun, uh, a very fun chat that I would recommend to anybody who's just seen that film and wants to kind of help uh, reflect on their thoughts on it. <laughs> Well, thanks. Thanks. Mm. <laughs> um, well, thank you for joining us, Matt. Uh, and we'll we'll have to maybe bring you back on in the future to to talk more about pop fiction. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. That was a good discussion about pop fiction. Now, Elliot, it's time for you to prescribe something to us, Matt. I guess you can just uh, sit there for now. <laughs> uh yes. So I'm I'm bringing everyone's uh you know prescription for the next fortnight, and I'm bringing something that is obscure, but not in the general sense of obscure. Uh, in that mm. I find it obscure Fake. that you have not seen or read this, Ruben. Uh, well, that's the premise of the show, so <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if that's that noteworthy. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I, I mean, we do stray from that sometimes, Elliot, but usually it's something that it's like, <laughs> we can't believe we've missed it. Anyway, what is yes. it? Okay, well, I to celebrate the final season starting in a few weeks, I am bringing you the uh, HBO hit show Game of Thrones. Oh, no. <laughs> You warned me this was going to come eventually. Yes, I, oh. I've been holding on to this one since the very start of the show, actually. Uh, yeah. Mm. Um, so, I mean, obviously... Well, I guess it's time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, obviously, this is a thing. E- everyone who is not living under a rock has heard of this show. And mm. I'm curious to know what you know going in. Because I think, uh, I mean, I, there's not many other people I know who have not seen or read anything uh to do with this series how, how long has it been since it started i think it started in 2010 that was well sorry that was when season one yeah. of the show so almost 10 years yeah uh um, and obviously the, the first book came out like in 1994 or something it's you know it's really old i think when it first came out i i watched the pilot episode and didn't get into it and then it started really building up hype, and I watched the pilot episode a second time and didn't get into it again. <laughs> so, um, but I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> so I, I guess we'll see if this time it sticks and I'm able to get into it. Um, obviously, it's a show that is, like, loved, or at least was quite highly regarded up until, you know, I, I hear that it's got kind of fallen off the wagon a bit recently. Um, yeah, well, I could... I could talk for hours about that, uh, and so maybe maybe we'll touch on that uh, in two, <laughs> well, in two let's, weeks. Yeah, let's get to that next time. <laughs> um, um, but, this episode's already running a bit long. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just did want to say I picked the show over the books. Um, that, that was actually, I, I did for a long time sort of struggle to decide which one of those I would give mm. you. Uh, but uh, the show is ultimately what I went with because, as I've already said, the final season starts soon, so it's actually going to finish. And I've given up yep. any hope that the book yep. series is actually going to finish. So, 
for that reason, I, I think recommending the show is better. Um, I, I mean, yeah, usually you would give me a, some reasons why you are prescribing this. I mean, it's pretty well known and loved, but I guess still, what what do you yeah. like about it? Um, I, I mean, this is just the... So I'm just going to sort of refer to bits of it as the Song of Ice and Fire because that, that sort of covers the whole books and show. I think sure. the world the characters and the plot are all fantastic. Like for me, this is one of those stories that has everything. And then again, the, you know, you, you're not going to get through seven, seven seasons of the show in these two weeks. So <laughs> that's what you think. <laughs> uh, and also, no, yeah, I won't. <laughs> so the show as well is really well made, particularly in those first two seasons. Season one is almost shot for shot, like aligning up with the book of season one. And, and it does a really fantastic mm. job of adapting it uh, as well. But yeah, for me, this this world and, and this story just has a bit of everything. It's got characters I love. Uh, I'm so, I've become so engrossed with the world throughout the years, um, and then obviously the plot carries all of that through. Mm. Um, mm, I will I will sort of warn you. You know, it's an HBO show, and they fall into that trap. There's some I, I would describe it as gratuitous sex stuff in in the early portions of the show. Um, I, I'm kind of aware through you know meme culture of. Um... A character who's got something to do with dragons, who has blonde hair, and apparently is always getting naked. If if my zeitgeist <laughs> interpretation is correct, oh uh, yes. Yeah. So in the uh, in the first like two seasons, uh, that's she she's naked a lot, and I think the mm-hmm. actress Amelia Clark actually sort of worked it into her contract from season three onwards that she wouldn't do any more nude stuff. And and good on yeah, her. and that's actually something that sort of carries through the rest of the show. There's still some of it, but it, it definitely feels in in the start of the show like i've rewatched half of the first season in preparation for this and, and i'm just noticing it a lot more than than later on in the show which is fresher in my memory there's just stuff where it's just like this doesn't need to be like there are conversations happening while people are having sex and it's just like this doesn't need to be like this they just wanted to have boobs <laughs> on the screen they just wanted to show off that they're on hbo <laughs> Um, so here's a question that I have for you. Uh, so there used to be a website that I know we both were big fans of called kevinformatics.com, <laughs> which you could use to track the, the IMDB ratings of TV shows over the course of their lifetime. Yeah. That's a lot of backstory to a simple question, which is how do you think the IMDB ratings of Game of Thrones track over time? Like, do you think it, it really is its strongest at the start and goes down or it picks up or... What are you feeling? Oh, I mean, yeah, because that's the sort of question. The thing with IMDb ratings is they're affected by a lot of people, and there mm. are quite a few people who have a much shallower connection to the series than I do. Like, I'm real deep into it, and something sure. something that the show... So, like, a, a big thing is the books are heavily about showing that, like, war and conflict is bad and just makes everything worse. Um, yep. Fair the enough. show kind of got famous because of all of the graphic violence in it. And mm. and so there are definitely times where the show has felt like it is celebrating like the conflict and the gruesomeness of the war rather than like what the books actually try to do, which is, you know, have it in there to show how horrible it is. Uh, mm. and, and so I think there are a lot of people who watch the show and just love the gratuitous violence for being gratuitous violence. Um and those mm. people probably would all still rate it very highly on IMDb because it's still got that. But uh, there, there are definitely a lot of people who I, I know feel the same as me, where the the plot and the characters and the dialogue has deteriorated recently. And and I would I would give the recent seasons lower ratings than I would the early ones. Um, but it's definitely 
it's a very consistent show overall. So, as an example, where do you think like season one stacks up against like season three? Yeah, so I would I would put uh, I mean a, a lot of these I haven't rewatched for a while, but I would say seasons one and two are some of the best. Um, mm. and then okay. three, three, four, and five are all fantastic as well, and it's it's season six I think where th- that's where they went past what the books had written, and it starts to drop off a bit. Um. One last thing I wanted to sort of prep you for is I, I don't think because the show, you know, isn't a book, it, it doesn't get that. You know, books will just digress when they introduce a character. Uh, they can explain mm. all this context around them. The show doesn't have that opportunity. And there are definitely bits that I don't think it introduces to newbies quite as well. Like going back and rewatching the show after I started the books years ago, there was a lot of moments where I was like, oh, OK, yeah, like. I understand this with a lot more depth now. Um, but did that add to your enjoyment or was it just like additional info that you didn't really need? I, both. If, <laughs> you know, like it, sure. it, it's, not, it's not necessary, <laughs> but uh, for me, it, it really enhanced the experience. Um, sure. So I just, uh, so as a sort of aside for that, I sort of wanted to give you s- some basics of the world just, just to sort of set the scene, I guess, right, which is um, a little primer. Yeah. So, so George R. R. Martin has described this as a story that's set after the fairy tale. Um, so for uh, this story mm. actually kicks off about 15 years after, uh, some, some guys led a rebellion and overthrew like a King who'd been part of a 300 year dynasty. Uh, and so that, that's mm-hmm. sort of really the same. And, and so the example he's used is, uh, when he finished Lord of the Rings, uh, this, this is George. When he finished reading Lord of the Rings, it was like, oh, and then Aragorn became the king of Gondor and he was a good king and everything lived happily ever after. And uh, mm-hmm. George R. R. Martin was sort of like, yeah, but like, what was Aragorn's taxation policy? And, and what was what was his <laughs> feeling, like, or what was his policy around the plumbing in, in Gondor? Sure. Uh, Very important and relevant <laughs> questions. <laughs> um, well, and so that's sort of what you really see in, in Game of Thrones is this is set after the big heroic battle where, you know, a, a girl was kidnapped by the evil king and her brother mm. and her uh, fiancé go and rescue her, um, but unfortunately she dies, but they kill the king and take over the kingdom. And now we're here like 15 years later and we're kind of seeing that the sorts of people who can lead successful rebellions are not necessarily people who can successfully lead a kingdom. Um, Interesting. I wonder how much analogy there is to the... Uh to the American, like, to American independence. It, that's just kind of what it evokes from what you're describing, like George Washington leading the re- the rebellion and then kind of needing to give up his power to, to people who can be more kind of <laughs> peacetime leaders. I, I guess the difference there would be that was an... That was more of an ideological revolution that was run by mm. people who, who knew how they wanted to govern. Whereas in Game of sure. Thrones, this was very much just a, they kidnapped my sister slash my fiance, fuck them. That's fair. Uh, yeah, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of differences. <laughs> like orcs? I don't know if there are orcs in Game of Thrones. Uh, no. Uh, evil creatures? Game of Thrones, what I really like about the, at, at least the start of the series, is magic is in the show, but it very much takes a backseat. Like what really drives mm. particularly the early ha- the early half of the story is the politics and the interactions between the characters like magic sometimes is there to enhance or you know deflect stuff but mostly it's mm. it's people and you know the people are messed up and and you know magic is just a background influence interesting okay uh well i guess uh, yeah it's weird i mean 
<laughs> it's so in the zeitgeist that I feel like I already know so many things. I mean, like, I feel like I have a primer on, um, on I don't know his name, Peter Dinklage's character just because of, uh, <laughs> just because of pop culture. Yeah, so definitely. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, well, I'll be very interested to hear your thoughts on some of that because a lot of the characters, like, grow and change a fair bit as the series progresses. And it'll be interesting to mm. see what aspects of their characters you've been sort of influenced by already. Like, are you are you yeah. familiar with the concept of, yeah, late Peter Dinklage's Tyrion or, like, early days Tyrion? It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, well, I guess I don't really know. Mm. I mean, I have, like, bits and pieces, right? Like, I know the... As an example, I know the backstory behind Hodor's name and how he, why he always says Hodor, which is just like a weird thing that I just know because yeah. when that when that episode happened, it became such a huge meme. Yeah, it was probably impossible um, to avoid. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how that will shape my enjoyment of the show, or what what even yeah, whether it will even be an impact. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> No, I'm excited I to guess we'll talk find about that in two, in two weeks. weeks. Yeah. Um, that's MediaMD for this fortnight. Uh, if you would like to uh, leave us your thoughts on Game of Thrones, if you haven't seen it and you're watching along with us, or you want to call out things about it that you like and you have seen it, you can do that by shooting us an email. Our email address is MediaMDPodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at, at MediaMDPodcast. Uh other things that you can do if you'd like to get in contact with us are head to our website, MediaMDPodcast.com, um, where you can find uh, all of our links to our old episodes and some of our other shows, like Deep Impact, which we do on the uh, Doof uh, Media Discussion Network. Yes, um, I think that's it. <laughs> also on our website, you can find clues for the MediaMD ARG, where you can help us figure out just who is Dr. MD and why does this heroin look so much like cocaine Elliot, why don't you tell the listeners this fortnight's clue? Uh, exhaust. Exhaust. And we'll see you next fortnight. Exhaust.